Section three of Carolina Chansons by DeBose Hayward and Hervey Allen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pirates I stood once where these rows of deep piazzas frown on the harbor from their columned pride, and saw the gallant youngest of the cities lift from the jealous many-fingered tide, flanked by the multicolored sweeping marshes, among the little hummocks choked with thorn, I saw the first small dauntless row of buildings give back the rose and orange of the dawn. Above them swayed the shining green palmettos, vocal and plaintive at the wind's caress, while at the edge of sight the fluent silver of sea and bay framed the wide loneliness. Out of the east came gaunt razees of commerce, troubling the dappled azure of the seas, while sleeping marsh awoke and vanished under the thrusting open fingers of the keys. Ever and more came ships, while others followed, feeling their way among unsounded bars, heaping their freights upon the groaning wharfheads, filling their holds with turpentines and tars, until the little twisting streets all vanished into a blur of interwoven spars. 2. One with the rest I saw the commerce dwindle, high-bosomed, sturdy vessels take the main, and leave us with the morning in their faces, never to come to any port again. Slowly an ominous and pregnant silence grew deep upon the wharves where ships had lain. Laughter rang hollow in those days of waiting, and nameless fears came drifting down the night. The tides swung in from sea, hung and retreated, bearing their secrets back beyond our sight till, like the sudden rending of a curtain, the east reeled with the lightnings of a fight. Never was a night so long with waiting, never was the dark more prone to stay, and in the whispering gloom taut listening faces hung in a pallid line along the bay. Slowly at last the mists dissolved, revealing a fearful silhouette against the day. Blue on a saffron dawn, a frigate lifted out of the fog that veiled her fold on fold, taking the early sunlight on her cannon in running spurts and rings of molten gold. No flag of any nation at her masthead, small wonder that our pulses fluttered cold. Never a shot she fired on the city, but when the night came blowing in from sea, and our ruddy windows warmed the darkness, through the surrounding gloom we heard the free, strong sweep and clank of rowing in the harbor and on the wharves raw jest and revelry. She was the first, but many others followed, insolent, keen, and swift to come about. I have seen them go smashing down the harbor, loud with the boom of canvas, and the shout of lusty voices at the crowded bulwarks, where tattooed hands were swinging longboats out. Up through the streets the roisterers would swagger, filling the narrow ways from wall to wall, scattering gold like ringing summer showers, ready with song and jest and cheery call for those who passed, buying the little taverns at any cost, opening wine for all. There were rare evenings when we used to gather down in a coffee-house beside the square. Morgan knew well our little favored corner. Blackbeard the sinister was often there and we have watched the night blur into morning, while Bonnet, quiet-voiced and debonair, would throw the glamour of the seas about us in archipelagos of mad romance, pointing a story with a line from Shakespeare, quoting a Latin proverb, while his glance, flashing across the eager, listening circle, fettered, blinded, held us in a trance. Their bags of Spanish gold bribed our juries, bought dignified officials of the crown, Money and wine were ours for the asking. The Orient flamed out in shawl and gown, until a sudden and unholy splendor irradiated all the quiet town. 
Those were the days when there was open gaming, and roaring song and tongue of every race. Evil as colorful as poison weeds bloomed in the marketplace. And those who should have known shared in the revels, and passed their neighbors with averted face. Until one day a frigate entered harbor, and passed the city with a Spanish prize. Then insolently came about, despoiled her, and fired her before our very eyes, while the vagrant breezes left the steaming vapor like red rust on the clean steel of the skies. 3. All in the sullied hours, while the pirates stood away out of the murk and horror in a sheer white burst of spray, leaving the wreck to settle under its winding sheet, I felt the city shudder and stir beneath my feet. Thrilling against the morning, as audible as song, I heard the city waken out of her night of wrong. That was a day to cherish, when Rhett and a gallant few summoned the best among us, called for a daring crew. New and raw at the business, to the smithy's roar and clang, we drove our aching muscles, and as we worked we sang, until one blowing morning, with summer on the sea, the Henry to the windward, the sea nymph down a lee, flecking the wide Atlantic with a flaring lacy track, we went, as glad as the winds are glad, to buy our honor back. 4. Over the wooded shoreline, where the hidden rivers stray, down to the sea like timid girls, I saw in the first faint gray a burst of cloudy topsails go blowing swiftly by, with the stars a-swirl behind them like bright dust down the sky. Gone were the days of waiting, and the long blind search was gone. With a cheer we swung to meet them on the forefoot of the dawn. Out of the screening woodland, into the open sound, the frigate crashed, then staggered, careening fast aground. White water tugged behind us, we felt the Henry reel, and spin as the hard impartial sand closed on her vibrant keel. All through the high white morning, while the lagging tide crawled out, fate held us bound and waiting, while, turn and turn about, we manned the fuming cannon and bartered hell for hell, while the scuppers sang with coursing life where the dead and dying fell. Till, like the break of fever when life thrills up through pain, we felt the current stirring under the keel again. Then it was hand to cutlass and pistols in the sash. All hands stand by for boarding, now close abeam and lash. But the ensign that had mocked us with its symbol of the dead fluttered and dropped to the bloody deck, and a white square spoke instead. Home from the kill we thundered on the tail of the equinox, to the thrum of straining canvas and the whine and groan of blocks. Leaping clear of the shadows, chancing the creaming bars, we heard the first faint cheering as the late sun limbed our spars. Safe in the lee of the city, we moored in the afterglow, the sea nymph and the henry, with the buccaneers in tow. Glad we had been in the going, but God, it was good to come out of the sky-wide loneliness to the walls and lights of home. 5. Under these shouldering rows of stone that notch the quiet sky, under the asphalt's transient seal the same old mud-flats lie, and I have felt them surge and lift at night as I passed by. Yes, I have seen them sprawling nude while an autumn moon hung chill, and the tide came shuddering in from sea, lift by lift, until it held them under a silver mesh responsive to its will. Then slowly out from the crowding walls I have seen the gibbets grow, and stand against the empty sky in a desolate, wind-blown row, while their dancers swayed and turned and spun, tripping at heel and toe. 
with a flash of gold where the peering moon saw an earring as it swung and a silver line that leapt and died where the salt-white sea-boots hung and the pitiful nodding silent heads with half of their songs unsung d h note on the pirates the many inlets and sheltering coves of the Carolina coasts very early made the low-country seaboard a rendezvous for pirates and a shelter to refit and to bury their treasure. As early as 1565, the French from Ribot's settlement succumbed to the temptation to plunder their rich Spanish neighbors, and in the century before the coming of the English, the lonely bays and estuaries saw strange ships from time to time. There was a pirate settlement by 1664 at Cape Fear River, where Governor Sale did not arrive until 1670 to take formal possession for the Lord's proprietors of the colony. The Peace of Utrecht turned many privateers into pirates, ships which had been habitually preying upon Spanish commerce since Blake's victory at Santa Cruz in 1657, and these gentlemen of fortune were at first welcome in the Carolinas. Nearly all the coin in circulation then was at first brought by such doubtful adventurers, and they were regarded as the natural protectors of the Carolinas against their powerful enemy, the Spaniard, to the south. Gradually, however, this cordial attitude changed. It was a small step from attacking Spanish to plundering English commerce, and with the cultivation and export of rice and indigo, the demand for a safe sea passage grew overwhelming, while the coasts continued to be ravaged. The royal government was slow to act. In 1684, we learn that the governor will not in all probability always reside in Charlestown, which is so near the sea as to be in danger of sudden attack by pirates. Nor was this an idle thought, for the town was blockaded by pirate ships at the harbor's mouth, and medicines and supplies demanded while citizens were held as hostages. In 1718, Governor Spotswood of Virginia sent an expedition to North Carolina, which succeeded in surprising, capturing, and beheading the notorious Blackbeard, who, in company with one Steed Bonnet, had long ravaged the coast with impunity. In August of the same year, word was brought to Charlestown that Bonnet, with his ship the Royal James, was refitting in the Cape Fear River. Colonel William Rhett volunteered to attack him. With two sloops of eight guns each, the Henry and the Nymph, and about 130 men in all, he set sail and found Bonnet at anchor in the Cape Fear River. In making the attack, and during the encounter, all three ships ran aground. The fight raged desperately all day between the Henry and the Royal James, the Nymph being unable to get off the shoal and come to the help of her companionship. Bonnet finally surrendered and was taken prisoner to Charlestown. It is this adventure which the poem celebrates. Bonnet escaped, but was afterwards recaptured by Colonel Rhett on Sullivan's Island. He and about thirty of his crew were hanged about the corner of Meeting and Water Streets. Bonnet himself was hanged later than his crew, after a masterpiece of invective by the judge, who painted hell vividly. This pirate leader was dragged fainting to the gallows, and there was much sympathy for him, as it was said, his humor of going a-pirating proceeded from a disorder of the mind occasioned by some discomforts he found in the married state. End of section 3. Read by Laurie Ann Walden.